I think they call them cans in the business. <laughs> in the business. They're a left and right. I've been uh, in business for We haven't been able to work that now. out. We think no. He's, he's got the, the cable right. on the right, so let's go cable. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I and you're a veteran of this game. I have high frequency issues in my left ear. Do you think that will <laughs> Maybe we should do some DJ <laughs> style. Apparently, I can't, Don't worry, apparently can't. I can't hear dolphins. Yeah, really? Is there none of them here. So they might just sneak up on you. <laughs> <laughs> and steal your drink. You know the serpentine, you never know. It's terrifying out there. Okay. okay. <laughs> so meanwhile, back on Planet Relevance... <laughs> Hey, let's start. So, uh, welcome okay. to uh, the Retail Craft Podcast. I think this might be number three by now. So, thank you to our victims today for joining us the studio, and the Dean, Sally. We're also here with Jamie. Hi, Jamie, Martin. So, uh, Martin, our head of research. So, uh, just in case anyone doesn't know, who are you? Jamie Merrick. I work at Salesforce in the industry strategy and insights team. Wow, we are honoured. Thanks, Jamie. <laughs> well, thank <you. laughs> and uh, Martin, tell everyone who you are. Martin Shaw, Head of Research at RetailX. Wonderful. Now, those who uh, are familiar with our uh, wonderful magazine cover, Sally will know you, but uh, just in case, who yes. are you? So I'm Sally Heath-Minto, and I was previously the e-commerce director at New Look, and now I am in an advisory role for uh, Revolution Beauty, which is my husband's business. For now. For now. So, exactly. Exactly. Well, maybe we'll see what happens. But also, at Revolution Beauty, is Nadine. Tell us what you're up to, Nadine. Yes, so I'm Nadine Nitor, and I am e-commerce director at Revolution Beauty. I can see there's a real hierarchy here between the two of you. So uh, that's uh, the line on the middle, e-commerce director responsible for an e-commerce business. Yes. Uh -huh. So we don't have any brick and mortar outlets of our own. So really, it's the direct to consumer business. So e-commerce, but anything on digital products, basically. Mm. So tell us a bit about beauty, because we were chatting with Emma last issue about some of the interviews you've done with Birchbox. Um, but everywhere we look, there is a beauty revolution mm. going on, mm. both in terms of the product and the selling formats. So just to catch uh, everyone up, just tell us a bit about uh, Revolution so we can understand the business a bit more. Yeah, so I guess from a macro point of view, I think there's three interesting things that, that are leading to beauty having a bit of a revolution at the moment, and that is it's well documented that in kind of recessionary times you have the lipstick effects, which is, you know, where people invest in small treats and obviously the price point of beauty is 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 kind of aligned with that and i think that when you layer that on with the instagram generation where every day you're putting yourself out there and you need to show the best of yourself i think that's really helped to to really generate uh, so much growth in that area and i think then if you overlay that on the fact that actually as a category it's become much broader because of focus on different uh, types of products within it as well. So it's not just about mascara and lipstick, but you've got eyebrows, which are kind of like the biggest thing. You've got to have great eyebrows and there's lots of products now associated with that. Skincare, hair care, all of those things are coming and giving weight and breadth to the industry. So mm. I think that from that point of view, then launching a brand into the centre of that covering those areas has really, really worked well. And, you know, revolution started and my husband loved the word revolution and we sat round the kitchen table and I remember it distinctly. 
<laughs> we were having a conversation about what to call the brand because he quickly had to start a new makeup brand. And, you know, he's been doing, you know, makeup all of his life pretty much. And he loved the word revolution because of the power of what it meant and what he really wanted to express and do with this. And um, essentially, he's a disruptor. The brand is disrupting the industry, and it's all about fast beauty. So he was looking at clothing, fashion, and the fact that fast fashion was really driving the market. You know, consumers want something tomorrow. They see something on social media. They want it today. And he really ran with that. Um, and he wanted to do the same thing in beauty because... The bigger beauty houses, they take a number of months, if not years, to develop new products and launch them to market. And he does it instantly. He can do it in a number of weeks. And he's constantly churning those um, products out as well. So tell us the, the how there then. So if the combined might of the big houses are quite happy to chunk along seasonally, annually... Firstly, how are you able to do that? Well, I think in a smaller business, you can be a lot more agile. You can make decisions right you know, there and then. It's all about your supply base once you've got a factory that can really support you as well. But it's just looking out there. And, and actually, one of the biggest things that Adam did from day one, bearing in mind there's never been any above-the-line advertising, is he went straight for engagement with the end consumer. So he had conversations daily with bloggers, vloggers and actual customers and has created from the bottom up a really powerful voice um, with the, the customer. And in those conversations saying, what do you want? He still does it today. What would mm -hmm. you like to see next? Which brands do you like? Which high-end brands do you like? But where the price point is is out of your your range and what he's created therefore is this real powerful force in this and it's called ma, you know mastige so it's mass product affordable price point really doing the trends but it's doing it in a, in a prestige way mm. and i think that's what differentiates the brand from other people in the space and so give us a, a feel of the scope of it then so i've got the image of the kitchen table and I've got the image of the global luxury brands. So I assume you're now more than one table full, but maybe not yet buying Chanel. So where where in between are you fitting? What's the sort of the dynamics of the business? In terms of product? Product range, yeah. growth, stores, outlet, customer base. Yeah, so currently uh, Revolution as an umbrella company um, now. So it's the fastest growing beauty or makeup brand in the world. It's distributed through Superdrug as its major partner in the UK, but also has a really uh, fast-growing business in the States with some partners there and also in key European countries as well. So we've got very, uh, one of our biggest markets is Poland, Spain, we've got Czech Republic. But international sales, I mean, actually online, it's more than 50% of the sales are coming through internationally. So it's all about the engagement with the customer, no matter where they are. So it hasn't actually been just, you know, the relationship with Superdrug, but it's actually been the relationship with the customer internationally. So I just think that it's just the most exciting story. And I've only been with the brand for mm. about a month now. So I'm still in the newbie phase of just really loving it. And long may it continue. But, you know, Sally's really right. It's really leading a revolution in the beauty industry. So when I worked at Space NK a number of years ago, 
the success that I saw there was amazing too because actually beauty was still an affordable luxury and especially in the luxury space. So whilst you maybe weren't going to go out and you know drop a grand or three grand on a handbag, you know, 100 quid on a really nice expensive beauty product, people were still doing. And it was kind of like a guilty pleasure. So I guess as the economy has kind of evolved since then, because it was a few years ago now, where Adam's come along and seen this gap in the market, he's making that available to mass market. And that's what's really disruptive. Mm. And literally from new product development, we are launching new products every single week en masse. And it's about 12 weeks from concept to delivery. So the fluidity of how quickly we're actually turning things around and getting it on shelf is phenomenal. Mm. So, so what's driving the, you know, I mean, you're growing so fast, it sounds brilliant. Is it? Because people are able to buy a product of five pounds. I was looking at the Daily Mail for research purposes mm. only, just to be absolutely <laughs> clear. But there was a was it Revolution Lace Bake? I think it is. It's five quid. It was associated with the way Kardashian does her regime. Yeah. Everyone's saying it wonderful five star reviews and all that sort of stuff. So is it people just buying more and more and more once they found it, or is it loads of new customers? Is it telling each other and how you know what's yeah. the driver? Yeah, I mean, so listen. It, traditionally, you would go to a beauty counter. And say, I'd like to, you know, give me some advice on how to, you know, to to make the best of my face. The <laughs> are these exactly right? I think <laughs> you show us the door. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's too much to work here. Sorry, off you go. I want to look lovely at this, for this event. Can I just say, this is why we're doing a podcast, because <laughs> yeah. Jamie and I were told in January that we didn't have faces for video. Hashtag <laughs> face for radio. Well, so. I've got some products that can help with that. Thank you very much. <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah. So what you've got now with the online community is that they're creating endorsement and education around beauty products. But, you know, a lot of it has in the past come from top down. You've got the big beauty houses saying, okay, this is you know, a perfect looking person, you need this makeup palette, you need this mascara to make you beautiful. You've suddenly got a community of people that are actually discovering products on a more mass level and actually then using that, you know, and endorsing those. And everybody wants to look like those key figures like Kim Kardashian. But I think what Revolution does brilliantly is that they take the essence of what that product is at the top level and they make it accessible for the mass market. Uh, and they do it at a price point that suddenly makes everyone go, what? Seriously? Is this, is this real? So there was a, there's a product called um, Conceal and Define, which was the concealer. And it was effectively mimicking the effect that you get from some of the prestige lines, but it was £4. And it became according to the Daily Mail, um, <laughs> the, fastest, the fastest selling, the, the, the biggest selling concealer in the market. And suddenly, then you're seeing customers say, okay, maybe I'll try this out. But you know what? I can try it out without actually breaking the bank. You know, yeah. it's not an investment. It's actually, I'll just see how it goes. And then you're finding that you're getting those super fans through that because you're engaging with them. The people that they are admiring and the people that they they influence by are endorsing these products educating people on how to use mm. them and so they're not going to their beauty counter anymore they're seeing these people who are walking adverts 
you might follow a blogger because they've got the same skin tone as you or the same look as you. And so you get educated through that way. And if then they pick up these products, and it's always the micro-influencers actually collectively have the biggest power. So there's a community now within Revolution, and they, they, the people that follow the brand are known as Revaholics. Right. So there's a hashtag and it has really grown momentum and it's that sense of community of I've discovered this amazing brand and isn't it wonderful and the fact that they've got new products every week I can get so excited and mm. you know I think one of the funny funnier comments that I see are that oh my god you're killing me revolution I've just spent all my money at Superdrug and now you've brought out another product that I need to have you know and it's that excitement but it but it's so accessible at the same time. And I think that is, but it's a good quality product well, as well. It doesn't, it does not compromise on performance. It follows through in terms of the packaging mm -hmm. and everything that goes along with the brand. It's like we are relentless around how we execute what revolution is and how we're disrupting at the highest level. Part of me is thinking the plan is going to go to hell in a handcart because increased consumption, but yet your products are well-sourced, well-made. You've got a vegan mm -hmm. um, line, which uh, my daughter is very happy about. Mm -hmm. So just tell me about this balance of you know, product quality. You've touched on it a number of times, but let's open that up a bit. Um, the products are not face-melting chemicals that are cheap and so on. This no. is a well-sourced you know, high-quality products, well-packaged, and a great experience. Yeah. So vegan, tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, so we're 100% cruelty-free, so we do not trust on animals. And that goes back to a lot of the essence of what the brand is all about as well, because it doesn't. it's not just about those kind of technical perspectives as well. It's about who the appeal is to. So the point about the brand is that it's inclusive to everybody. So Adam really believes that everybody has the right to feel beautiful but not have to spend a lot of money in getting there. Mm. And so the way they engage with the influencers and um, and the customers is such that it's okay to be as you are. So as an example, there was a blogger, a relatively small influencer who um, had bad acne and she had been rejected by some of the larger beauty companies because she didn't she wasn't beautiful to endorse their products and actually she did a video using fastbase which was the new foundation that revolution were just bringing to the market and it went viral because the effect the you know the the way that product actually performed on her skin was amazing it's 5 pounds and it was the fact that Revolution wanted to run with that because it's all about making someone feel beautiful and feel good about themselves. And that is the essence. It's about being inclusive. No one is excluded. Everyone has the right to be beautiful. And that traction that we got, it's advertising without you advertising. And it's not coming from a point of, oh, we deliberately went after somebody who was like that. Mm. It organically happened because that is the ethos of the brand. And I think that authenticity thing is where they've got a really powerful message because it is yeah. genuine. It is about um, people and creating that community and giving them what they want. It's not about saying, here we are, this is some beauty that you just need. 
take it or leave it. Yeah. It's actually about helping people to really feel good about themselves. So authenticity, one of my favourite words. So, mm. you know, please see that. And it's something that's been coming out uh, from a lot of our, well, from all of our guests so far, which is which is great. I want to track back, though, to something that I think is great and also worrying at the same time, which is social media. So, you know, I follow you on Instagram, so I've seen, you know, as you become more involved in beauty, that your hashtags have changed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you've become a a direct marketing person as part of the way you live your life, Mm -hmm. the way you attribute your photos. So isn't this putting a massive pressure now on... On, on staff who previously would have been, you know, I'm just a head office, uh, I run a business, but it's my own life is my own life. Now we're all sort of marketing, and I get the authenticity, you know, mm. you believe and you want to, but it is quite a pressure on you. So, you know, you can't tweet about a bad day or a spot breakout or someone else's brand. Uh, you know, people are looking to you as someone who's carrying the brand values. Is that is that a change? Well, I don't think that's all true I think what's fascinating to me out of all of this process is is that Adam from day one has been talking to his customer whether that's influencers or whether it's customers directly out of that and because of you know because of our life people have become interested in us as people because Mm. they've had a connection with him from for so long and because he talks to them his social media feed every day is him engaging he's not as a company owner removed from it he gets right stuck in and and gets involved the knock-on effect of that is people are interested in my life with him and with you know my baby and you know we get some fantastic comments and support which is from people we don't know because they feel part of our community Mm. you know we were on holiday and somebody had said oh you're like the new posh and bex which i thought was just (laughs) unbelievable i loved it so much it was such a cute thing to say and it was meant as a compliment and it was lovely to feel that people felt they were able to say that. And I said it to Nadine. She said, oh, I thought that was a friend of yours. I was like, well, it's not... (laughs) They are now. They are. It's just, you know, and that's, I guess, where it's at. And so for me, it feels very natural, but I still tag other brands because I'm still, you know, I'm a a fashionista, so I will still tag all of the, Mm. the brands that I buy. But I'm an authentic content creator because no one's paying me, apart from the fact, obviously, it's revolution, but no one's paying me to tag Zara or H&M when I have those, when I, when I do, it's the fact that I'm I'm creating that authentically. And that's where I suppose that the line is. Yeah. And I guess anybody working for Revolution is passionate enough that they want to do the same. I think that your experience is slightly different to mine because obviously um, your relationship with Adam, you've kind of been drawn into the brand DNA mm. as a byproduct of that. And Adam, absolutely, as our founder, he's core DNA to, to the brand and the proposition and everything that Sally's just said about authenticity begins there. And the product, the quality of the product, everything he wants to do is born out of that social media relationship or direct Mm. conversation with customers. And I think, you know, what's exciting about the culture of the organisation, I can say this, being somebody relatively new to the brand, is that it is a culture. And everybody that works there is really passionate about it and has a genuine interest in A, what the brand stands for and B, what it delivers. And Mm. so therefore is driven and motivated 
to be part of the team. So we are basically hashtag team revolution and, mm. and we all just, you know, love it. Mm. Um, and so in my personal life, I guess I keep my social media channels slightly separate. So I do have a very private side, but there is absolutely <laughs> a cross contamination because I'm so passionate A, about mm. the industry and B, about the brand. But again, I would say that I'm not, um, I'm not censoring what I would post because I'm thinking about whether or not it's appropriate because I do think that authenticity is still is still very core to what mm. we do. Mm. Mm. Let, let me pick up on the brands because you have a stellar brand background. So you worked for mono brands, whether it was Space NK, I'm trotting mentally through it, but you know, you had the Moa Tennessee, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, exactly. So, you know, there's a lot there where you've been working for a brand, but as far as I know, Moa Tennessee doesn't have someone walking around authentically inventing things and talking to customers. So, you know, what what have you brought from that branded world? Well, you say that, but actually, the the craftsmanship and the you know the the effort that goes in and sits behind each one of the brands in the Moat Hennessy portfolio is absolutely there. So, what I what I have loved about any brand that I've worked for is that affinity with the brand and the product. Mm. And I've always been a great advocate for authenticity in branding because I think what the difference between sort of retailers on mass versus brands for me is in that understanding and relationship with the customer. So actually what was fascinating at Moat Hennessy because it wasn't a direct to consumer business, first of all. So the brands exist and have relationships with customers but didn't have any relationship with the end mile in terms of how a customer bought the product or how they consumed the product. Mm. And therefore, you know, all of the branding work and the social media and marketing and the amazing events and everything that went with creating that brand image was all done because of the love of the the brands that they were working for. And they're mm. all different. So Veuve Clicquot versus Dom Perignon versus Lunar, they were all in their own separate right, doing amazing things true to their brand DNA and bringing that lifestyle and aspirational value to, to customers. Mm. And of course, my role there in terms of developing direct-to-consumer proposition was then looking at the end purchase. And from a multi-channel perspective, it was making the product available and taking away the barriers of, does it matter if someone buys it in a supermarket or if they buy it in a caviste? You know, the pricing was one issue, but the actual engagement with the brand was something quite different. So I'm beginning to think, Jamie, that we should have picked a different title for this uh, podcast series because... Yeah, we're talking about retail craft and the activities that leading retailers and brands do in order to sell. But things coming out time and again, uh, two things. One is around product, product integrity, loving your product, having an inherent value rather than just being a marketing or promotional tool. Uh, And the other thing then is the culture, this idea of authenticity, passion. Uh, Sarah uh, from the rug company was saying uh, last episode, you know, the sort of the attributes of flexibility and so on. I mean, is this something that you're hearing as well about the way that modern retail has to behave, product, customer, integrity, authenticity? It's not the old days of 
promotion and stock turn. Well, I think I mentioned every single one of the podcasts to date that our trips to New York, which does make us sound rather flash, but we're not that, as we both know very well. They were authentic uh, trips. <laughs> yeah. But the one last one was um, Rituals. Now, not in the same sort of area as your different type of product, but, you know, that the guy who spoke there, the CEO, and I forget his name, but yeah. pretty cool guy. Um, and he and he's spoke, you know, very passionately about his business. And in fact, their tagline was, well, the internal tagline, I guess, it was about always about getting people to slow down and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it felt, you know, he felt, extremely authentic about yeah. that it wasn't it definitely wasn't a marketing message in any way shape or form but it certainly feels that way ultimately you know experts in this room will know more than than me that it's all about your pricing your proposition and your service and you know those are the things that always remain the stuff that goes on top of that always just goes to reinforce those three parts to it as far as I can see so yes I'm agreeing with you it's absolutely true of today but it was also true of yesterday I think it's just being played out in a different way and you think about businesses like Warby Parker or Harry's or any of those ones it, it is bringing it sort of back to basics is the wrong expression but but just focusing on the essence yeah. of it if you see what I mean well the basis of product rather than anything else yeah and I think this is the thing what's interesting is even though that choice has become wider effectively the market where the success is is almost narrower in the sense that a number of players are actually doing really well because they've got exactly the product that people are looking for and they're engaging with their customers in the right way um, so they're relevant. I think anybody falling outside of that is struggling. I think that's absolutely the case. I mean, it's it's the essence of who we are as people, as it were. I mean, I don't want to get too flowery about it, but, you know, it's really getting what we like ourselves and trying to reflect that. You know, for example, the stuff you're saying about animal-free, cruelty, yeah. cruelty-free, that's, that's part of what we want these days. It's just a, a thing that's happened and lots of things have... Uh, similar to that are coming up, which brands are beginning to reflect as well. And I'm mm. sure we'll talk about those in due but, course. But again, I think series. that's why the whole branding aspect of it is so important because, you know, as as human beings, the psychology of it would naturally say that we, we feel the sense that we need to belong somewhere. So we have this natural affinity with belonging mm. and that loyalty comes from an emotional relationship, not necessarily a functional relationship. And, I, and that's what you see the difference between your functional loyalty mm-hmm. that's built on transactions and might increase your repurchase rate, yeah. but actually your customer's really fickle and she'll buy anywhere. But versus an emotional loyalty where somebody just absolutely loves what you do and stand for Mm. and will come and repeat purchase with you because they want to buy from you. So all this is lovely and... uh... Luckily, the my concealer is waterproof. Yeah, my tears of, of happiness and joy. On way. <laughs> but practically speaking, when you have a brand that has this connection with customers, a uh, product that you can stand behind, a good culture back at the ranch, does the website look and act like everyone else's? Does your com? I mean, how does your See, but what you'll find is that those die-hard customers and fans that really love you will forgive you for things that you're not doing as well as you could be so we all know that there's room for improvement across our customer experience and our pledge to our consumer base is that we're on that journey and we're going to continually try to make those improvements and you will find that people will be forgiving in the short term whilst you're on that journey I think, well, I mean, I slightly disagree. I mean, there's a brand I particularly like, and I'll say it's Harry's, it's Razor brand, and I I didn't realise I'd care that much about shaving, but anyway, it turns out I do. You know, I, I've been buying them from the, when you couldn't get them in the UK. You had to, I had to go and ask my brother to buy them for me. He lives in Washington, D.C., and send them across and all that jazz. 
And then I emailed them to say something about how wonderful it was. I, I was had a moment, and uh, like we were just having just now, and they didn't reply, didn't oh, acknowledge no. it. And actually, I still buy them because the razors are actually really good. They bought a, their own factory in Germany to create these razor blades that makes you know they're brilliant razor blades, and they're not as expensive as some of the competition. But it's taken a bit of the gloss off it. And although I still buy, I don't feel the same way as I did before. And this sounds a bit ridiculous, but, but you know what I'm trying to I say. I know, but, <laughs> but, but your experience is because they didn't reply to you. Yeah. Not because actually the website might have been slightly clunky during the process of the of the transaction or that maybe there was failure in the last mile and then they apologised. Those are the things. And I think yeah. it is the end-to-end engagement yes. piece Correct. is if at the front end you're saying, okay, you know, just as a case in point, Adam says what product would you like to see next, okay? And it could be men's forehead sweat. Proof. I don't know why you're looking whatever. at me as I you say that. Whatever that might be. Ian yes. messages list later on this afternoon. Yeah. And I'm Adam just putting order it. now. Putting but, you know, but, it's, but say you order it and there's something goes wrong in the process of that, it's how you then recover from that. Mm-hmm. Because failures will happen. Things Experiences will be difficult on different levels. But I do support what Nadine says is that at the start of a journey, I mean, Revolution is four years old. So it's still growing very quickly. But the point is the business is doing the things that it needs to do to prioritise the things that are weaker. So, um, you know, Nadine joined us only in May because digital and our digital experience B2C has to get better. I mean, obviously, you know, one of the most common touch points for people introducing the brand is to go through Superdrug. Now, you know, they've got a website, big company, but we knew it had to be a big focus for us. And actually, Nadine's appointment was really, really critical to the business. And we're going to, you know, build a team around her to make sure that the customer experience at a digital level becomes world-class because we've got world-class products and world-class engagement. So actually, it's what's next to tick the box. But I do believe in the meantime... And this goes back to being, I'm quite an old-fashioned retailer and, you know, that product is kitting thing. If people really want what you have, they will, find it. they will go and find some way of getting there and they won't mind the journey they go on as soon as you start to, to some extent, mm. to some extent. Mm. But there's a short period of time where that is relevant, I yeah. think. And then that's where you have to start behaving better and putting the the right investment in areas where it is critical. You know, don't get me wrong. I mean, at the end of the day, our website, it has products on there and we sell to the customer and they get the product. It's actually not broken as Mm. it is. It's just not, it's not world class and where it needs to be. I like that sort of uh, behavioral side of it, which is the way you're talking about the business. It's like, it's a real living thing that behaves and interacts rather Mm. than silicon process and technology and so on i think for me where my husband's been an absolute inspiration to the industry honestly because he's shaken up the way to retail to people you know the how to engage with the customer he could have been just a a guy that had a good idea around products Mm. but it's the end-to-end process of going how to get it out there and he will still We'll be on holiday and he will still be talking to customers and bloggers on, you know, it drives me mad to some extent, but that personal relationship between the brand and the customer is so important and it does permeate through. So anyone that comes in has to have that kind of thing about them too. And it's expanding its way into you now as well because you're probably sitting Mm. beside him having similar conversations. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And it is... 
But you know, it's, it's, an, it's inherently <laughs> having come from you know big retail where actually you're tying yourselves up in knots all the time around getting sign off to do this, that, and the other to get you know everybody to talk with one voice. You, you know, oh, in, so let's back up there then because I'm trying not to put you on the spot too much about your previous basics. Obviously, you're not working there now, but when we look at the high street, the people who have succeeded incredibly well in the past they've built a format it's bigger than one person it's become slightly could say depersonalized yet effective if you look at places like whether it's somewhere like uh, you know new look or or pink or you know any of the places you've worked before how could you take the dna to use your word and inject into organizations that are bigger you know, can the traditional high street find that connection with a founding voice with customer with authenticity or do they have to break and start again or is it just different at scale how, how do you see that jump from where you are now and what you've learned through experience if you were chatting to someone in the pub the you know turned to alistair with george chairman of new look and you said look alistair mate need to tell you something what i've learned is is there a I do, I do think that there is a response to that. And I really do believe it sits in leadership. Mm. So whether it's the CEO or someone else at that C-level, I think that's where it has to start. So I think where you're seeing successful businesses now, um, if you look at the leadership around those businesses, they're probably of a generation of people where they really do get that and can actually live and breathe the brand yeah and and that is where obviously it starts and it trickles down down that way i think the bigger companies i mean you think about new look it's been around for 50 years if you haven't got a consistent voice through and you change management it will go in different directions you know anders view on what new look was and who the brand was versus now what Alistair thinks, what previous CEOs might have thought, is gone in different directions. And that's not helpful to customers, mm. really. They need to have a very pure brand voice. You know, I think it was interesting that the journey that ASOS went on in the beginning of their years ago, they were obviously doing the as-seen-on-screen thing, so that was mm-hmm. one particular thing. But then when they started really building on the brands and their own label they took a good hard look at themselves and said, hang on, we're selling very expensive designer gear here, but they're very cheap stuff over here. Who are we actually aiming at? And said, right, okay, we're going to go 20 to 30, I believe is their kind of target customer. And that's what they've stayed true to. And actually, if you go to ASOS today, that is absolutely it. They Mm -hmm. stay true to where they think their customer is. And so anybody, I think, on the street could describe an ASOS customer. And I think that's where you have to be really clear about what your proposition is, who you are, and how you express that. And I think the bigger companies can, who are legacy companies, shall we call them, 
can get a bit tied up and go off in different directions. I think that's a really good point, actually. And uh, one of the things I would say I've learned in my experience of having um, worked with brands and obviously having spent many years with LVMH looking at luxury brands is what makes a good brand over the test of time. So if you think of some of the champagne brands, they're hundreds of years old. And you could cover up the label and you'd still know what the brand is. And the key to that is consistency. And that's what, when we talk about what's really authentic about branding, is that is that consistency in, in the history of the brand. And that's where, as you point out, Sally, when you get new management into larger organisations, somebody comes along and changes the strategy or changes the direction and you lose a little bit of that and it takes a bit of time to recover. So it's a bit like politics, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but that's all reflected also in the, in the ownership structure because different ownership structures promote different sort of ways of working. Would that be fair to say, as it were, as well? Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, in your case, in your case, yeah. both of you, you, you're, you, you guys are doing it. It's your business. The owner's unlikely to change for the foreseeable. It's going to be as passionate as that. I mean, we yeah. mm. what you described, by the way, we had this Deloitte report recently. It was effectively the people who really are owning that customer experience, the ones who are going to do mm. better. And the customer experience means not just the products and all that sort of mm. thing. But, but with yeah. the ownership, do you think the ownership matters and makes a difference to yeah. how things progress over time? I think I think so. You, you've only got to look at some brands that get acquired by a bigger organisation. Mm. And, you know... Some of them do stay to the truth. You know, it's how they're managed after that process because they can lose either speed or agility or something within that. It depends whether the original owner is still involved, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's a really good point because what is a brand? You know, where does it come from? Where does the voice come from? And that's usually an individual who's come up with a really great idea. And if you then remove that individual then the it's like Chinese whispers. It kind of just it gets lost in translation somewhere along the line. What New Look was as a brand that, you know, from my point of view as one of the senior leaders, might be very, have been different to someone five years, ten years, yeah. or even completely different to what Tom Singh originally conceived. But, you know, that's the the risk when things become bigger, of course. Good. Can I just, with a grinding crunch of gear change, <laughs> uh, ask a gender question? So we're Are just you fresh to do off. That anymore, is it? Mm. I think I can ask the question. Maybe I'm not allowed to. Uh, let me just float it and see. Um, we have been working a lot at the moment to source speakers for the internet retailing conference, and so although we're normally pre-gender blind, when you just look at a long list of 200 people you want to speak, senior people in major retailers, it is not a 50-50 gender balance. It's not a 50-50 racial mix. There are many other balances that are not mm. being balanced. But in this case, we just looked down the list and thought the gender balance isn't as you'd expect it. And you know, when you look at mid-senior or emerging leaders, there is a better male-female gender split. But I'm just wondering, when you think about talking to young women about entering retail whether it's you know, going to be your kids, your friends, you know, are you saying to them that this is an industry where gender plays no part and they can develop and achieve? So you two are both running a business, so in a way you're already the achievers, but you look at Retail Week with their really interesting Be Inspired campaign, Women in Retail, there are lots of initiatives, but I've just looked down a list of 200 people and the balance isn't there. So would you recommend women to come into multi-channel? And what, as an industry, should we be looking at to make sure it's a, a, 
has a better, more equal outcome in seniority terms. Wow, that really was a gear shift. It was, wasn't it? <laughs> Everyone's now looking, oh my God. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not really a feminist, to be honest, in that, you know, I like to see women doing well. I also like to think that, you know, the, the best people get the best jobs or you get the right, you match the right skills and profile to a role and, and get the best out of it. What would I say to my children if they said they wanted to go into retail? I would absolutely encourage them to do that if they wanted to. And, you know, the best advice I would give anyone is to do the best that you can do and to enjoy what you do. At the same time, I am aware and I have seen this kind of like imbalance. So I do like to encourage women to to build confidence, to be able to have those conversations. At the end of the day, we do have a different anatomy. And at some point that does kind of come into play. So if a woman goes off to have a baby, for example, they have to take a period of time out of their working life to do that. And then when they come back again, they have to balance having two jobs, essentially. So being a mother and also being at the peak of your career. I mean, I'm actually in that boat at the moment myself. So I, I speak quite knowledgeably about that. And it's not easy. So I think motivating women in those situations and encouraging them and making that work-life balance accessible is really, really important to make sure that the talent is maintained mm. and nurtured all the way through the levels that you can go. Mm. Yeah. And from an employer perspective, then, you know, flexibility about workplace, ensuring people are heard, pays yeah. a dividend irrespective of gender. I'm all in favour of good working culture. I, I really think, you know, encouraging people to do the best work they can because they're motivated and they want to do it is absolutely the way to get the best out of people. And if that means, you know, allowing a little bit of flexibility to arrive in the morning or to leave in the evening, then I'm absolutely good with that. Well, um, especially when you're on social especially media. Especially when it's me. <laughs> <laughs> on social media 24 hours a day anyway. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're never not thinking about it it's mm. always it's an always on kind of approach good well listen i'm sure that our listener will have a view about this <laughs> irrespective of his or her gender so um do chip in is something that we're looking at especially around our events and representation of who's speaking for and to the industry so they were very keen on yeah, I've got a couple of perspectives on this subject actually as well and i think well first of all it, you know, through my career, I never really felt there was much difference. It was always that, you know, just do your best and hopefully, you know, you'll do well and progress through. I think specific to the digital industry, though, there probably needs to be more support at an education level around women getting into the tech side. Mm -hmm. I think that's underrepresented. And I think more and more it's going to be called on for people leading businesses that they have that experience. So the more that the educational area can actually support women going into having interest in and then following up and having a career in, on the digital side would mean that we have more representation at the top level. And I think it is really important to have women there. What was quite interesting for me when I resigned from New Look, I had a lot of the younger female people in the business saying to me, oh, my God, this is so sad because you're my inspiration. You know, where will I get inspiration from? And I hadn't 
appreciated how much inspiration I was giving mm. just being in that role. Yeah. So it's not about companies going, well, okay, we need to have a quota, yeah. but understanding the impact. It's not about, oh, we need to give a woman a job because that woman may or may not be capable of doing the job. It's more about the actual factor of the inspiration that that person in that role will give other people coming through the ranks that, you know, that drive that they see what the end goal could look like. And I think that was quite powerful for me. So I think companies, you know, they, they need to have that flexible working, which makes it more attractive for people to stay in those jobs. But actually understanding the power of that in the first place is, is just so important. Great. Well, look, I think that's a fantastic note on which to end. Thanks for sharing that. We've covered uh, quite a gamut today, the whole colour balance from concealer for my forehead to <laughs> authenticity to product quality, innovation in the company, leadership. That has a pretty good go in the studio. So we'll just quick quits there. So dear listener, if uh, you want to tell your friend to subscribe, uh, I'm sure there'll be a button somewhere on the uh, website. So we'd like to double our listenership. Thank you for that. And in the meantime, Dean, Sally, Martin, JB. Thanks, guys. That was a good one. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. That was a laugh. You didn't say anything. I, I didn't. Uh, no, <laughs> That's I'm nodding. I, I was. Um, I came in really wanting to ask a few questions about it was performance quite and hard how. To how get in the word today, sorry, please. we headphones on or off. Um, <laughs> getting. Um, an idea of how you've become such a fast-growing business. In the Europe Top 500, we've got about 60 companies selling beauty, cosmetic sort of stuff, mm. and a lot of them are much larger companies. Um, but the growth is coming in your business and, mm. and to see. But then you went into authenticity, you went into like well, the, the product cycle, the 12 weeks, and I was like... Coming before we could get the questions. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was, this was, okay, beauty, it's great. Beauty and beauty. I mean, there is so much out there. That was one of the questions yeah, I thought about asking yeah. when we were discussing this yesterday. It's kind of like so much going on. Yeah. I go to Lush because uh, the hair stuff, blah, blah, blah. And, and and yet you could think about... The, a, the bomb the bomb thing that you washed. Hair custard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really work. There's not much hair left. <laughs> anyway. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, you know that's an example. What's it called? Gloss. Yeah, yeah, all all those all those businesses. It's, I mean, Sephora. It's, it's crazy well, amounts and, going know, on, and authenticity to... is massive, and, and, and mm. beauty particularly. But what I was also going to say, which I didn't say, is that you know, from my time at Space NK and over those years, that beauty industry has really matured a lot on this curve. So way more so than some of the multi-channel retailers on the high street, mm. I would say, because they had to find different ways to engage with audience. So when the mm. beauty model was through the department store it was so different so they've evolved since then and then they've gone direct to consumer and also then the explosion of like the pure play and these guys are just doing mm. phenomenally well they're creating the choice and making all the brands accessible to consumers yeah. in one place but the sense of community is what's kind of really fueled that and sephora great example because they absolutely set the bar many, many years ago when they realised that there was power in YouTube videos in terms yeah. of how to. So mm. tell someone what to do with it. And suddenly people are just like, OK, you know, you can ask Google a question that you might be too embarrassed to actually verbalise to your mm. peer group because mm. you don't want them to realise that actually you don't really know how to use fixing spray. Uh, oops, so, that's my Google yeah. search. Well, now I know I can <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't even sure you sprayed on your face. Is it a face thing yeah. or is it a hair it's thing? It's like hairspray yeah. for your makeup. So it sets, I've wow. got one with um, hyaluronic acid in it. So it right. hydrates 
and fixes my face at the same yeah. time. Oh, God, I've got a whole learning curve. That's what I mean yeah. about the kind of You'll the breadth it. of Your products. Your girls will yeah. keep you right there. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're all just stealing everything they get hands on. Yeah. I'm all over this lace bake, by the way, five quid. I think it's going to work for me. Yeah. 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 Exactly. If I need to make sure the kids don't listen to this because mm. now they've sorted out Christmas, yeah. it's only five quid <laughs> a time. As long as they don't know that, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you can go for the gift sets. Yeah. They're the biggest selling gift sets at Super Drive. It's better this than the Sephora. I mean, it's, you know, it's expensive, that stuff. Yeah. So I just think yeah. that if uh, if we had a vote at the bottom for, you know, have you learned most things that are useful to you in real life? I think this would score highly. Mm. <laughs> hey, I think it must be Negroni O'Clock now, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's wonder. So. Great. Let's Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh.